Welcome to EdTech Speaks, a podcast bringing guests together to share their expertise and advice on navigating business and education in a technology-driven world. From entrepreneurs to vendors, higher education to corporate leaders, we'll uncover their perspective regarding the latest trends and technologies impacting your career or business. Our podcast is made possible by Downing EdTech Consulting, where people and technology connect. Hosted by Cher Downing, an experienced executive spanning a higher education and corporate career with specific focus on the EdTech industry, Dr. Downing is also an international and national presenter, author, and regular media contributor. Now here is your host, EdTech strategist, Dr. Cher Downing. Hi, everyone, and welcome to EdTech Speaks, a podcast where we bring guests to share their expertise and advice on navigating business and education in a technology-driven world. Our goal is to provide you with options for products, services, and knowledge that can help you and benefit you and your business. I'm Cher Downing, your host, and I want to introduce today's guest, Rebecca Eller Molitas. Hi, Rebecca. Good morning, Cher. Thanks so much for having me. So excited to talk to Rebecca, who is sitting in Chicago, Illinois, where it's still a little chilly, I think, this time of year. I try to block out my my useful remembrances of those things. <laughs> we should have done this in person where you are, Cher. That's right. You should have come to sunny Arizona, where it's always warm, always glorious. But next time, next time we will do that. So excited to have you on here today, because we are talking about adult basic education. And for my listeners, for those of you that are in education, you get excited about this topic. And for those of you that are in business and corporate, you get less excited about this topic. So do not turn this off because we're going to be talking to you as well as our educators. Because right now, ABE, as adult basic education is affectionately called, is really becoming important in our world. And I think many of you have seen it during the pandemic when we've really had to struggle and scramble to find employees, to get the skill set that we need to keep things running, to adopt technology quickly, and to get our services out rapidly. So this is going to be a great topic for everyone today, regardless of who you're working with, how you're working. I think there's going to be something for everyone. So make sure that you stick with us on this one, because I guarantee you're going to learn something today. So I'm going to start out with Rebecca talking a little bit about how she got into adult ed. I'm from a family in which I'm the first person to go to college. So accessing education and completing education has sort of been a defining struggle in my life. And I feel that I want to pay it forward and help other people who have similar struggles obtain the education that they need for economic stability and confidence. That is so exciting because I think we're seeing it more and more in the news every day. We're seeing the the changes in the workforce. We're seeing the difficulty in finding people. We're seeing in the difficulty in finding jobs. And, you know, the old adage is, I can't believe you can't find a job. All these places are hiring. So the assumption just is you can just walk in and because you're breathing, they're going to hire you. And and clearly that's not the case. So talk to us a little bit about what falls under the umbrella of adult basic education. We do a lot of things that few people know about, actually. 
Adult basic education is a pretty large umbrella depending on what state you're located in. It's housed in various other organizations. In many states, it's the community and technical college system. And we deliver classes in adult basic literacy and numeracy. Often that might be for someone who is a native English speaker who hasn't completed a high school credential or they have completed and they don't necessarily have the skills that they need to succeed in the workforce. We also offer citizenship classes for people who are in the process of becoming a U.S. citizen. We offer English for speakers of other languages who are looking to move either into a career path or to enroll into a degree granting program or an apprenticeship program in the U.S. And we also offer digital literacy classes, which has become increasingly vital over the last two years. Besides that, we have a lot of other things that fall under those umbrellas, like health literacy, which you're probably hearing a lot about in the news right mm. now, uh, financial literacy, which is also huge as we look at inflation and job loss and family budgeting, and media literacy. So looking at the media and being able to question, okay, where did this come from? Is this a reliable source? Has this photo been edited? And all of that is wrapped into adult basic education. So it's fascinating to me, you and I've had this conversation before, where we've always perceived ABE to be the means to an end. It's a short-term goal of, I need to learn to do a specific skill set, and I'm going to get trained to do that, and then I'm going to go off and, and do things. But over the years, ABE has now moved into really full source education because the world keeps changing and we need to be adaptable and understand. And we don't always come from a product where we can do that. Absolutely. I can't remember the exact date. I think in 2014, we got the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, which we call WIOA. And the goal of that funding is really to move people into college or career. And I do have some students who come into the program who want to achieve their high school equivalency, and that might be their end goal for now. It could be something they want to model for their kids. But very often, it is people who say, oh, I'm interested in moving into this career, and I need to take this step first. Or I have this type of degree from another country, and I want to pursue a U.S. degree in this type of field. And those people come to adult education as a stepping stone for what comes next. So that's something that I think a lot of people still don't recognize is that many times someone comes from another country and they are highly educated there. They hold professional positions. They are certified in, in multiple areas. They have advanced degrees. The U.S. does not recognize those. And it's a it's a real catalyst because they can move anywhere in the world except here and their credentials will, will go with them. But when they come here, it's basically a do-over. So they have the knowledge, though be it might be in a different language, but it's really just getting them back into the workforce, which is really contributing to the value of our workforce because we're getting that expertise that's now going to be part of what we're doing. Absolutely. And a lot of what we hear these days about what employers are looking for 
are qualities like being able to manage change and adapt, uh, being flexible, being able to handle ambiguity, and a person who is able to pick up their life and sometimes their family and relocate to another country tends to really embody those qualities. It's extremely difficult to make that transition. I know I myself have moved to another country and there is a lot involved in that. And it does tend to teach you some adaptability and flexibility. But these students don't always have the language they need to be able to show an employer that they have the skill. So we're really trying to help them develop the language that allows them to demonstrate a skill they already have. So since 2014, when that act first came into being, have we seen large increases? Did the pandemic add any sort of of difficulty to students still working through that? How has that program been going? Adult basic education looks different in different states. So there's not only one answer to this. Okay. We were heavily impacted by the pandemic, though, because in many places up to 2020, these classes were mostly held in person. Digital literacy tends to be a barrier in adult basic education because people who lack economic opportunity don't always have access to devices. And if they do have access to devices, but they have low English literacy, then the device needs an operating system that functions in their native language where they can't really experiment with it and play around. They're also impacted by lack of broadband in a lot of cases. My family is from a very rural area. I have an 11 year old brother who needed to go to a church several miles away for remote schooling uh, when his school was closed because the only thing that's available where he lives is dial-up. And of course, you can't go to a Zoom class on dial-up and it's very expensive. My family can't access it. So those problems tend to spread over into adult basic education depending on what type of subject and student body you're teaching and very much where you are geographically. But because of low digital literacy, sometimes in the teaching body as well as the student body, moving these classes online and empowering people to try them on both the student and the teacher side was a major, major transformation. And that's true, really, of anyone that moved services online or moved products online. For one, there was such a rapid cutoff. And so instantaneously, people had to shuffle. And the digital literacy, I think, fit into the business world as well, because they were not used to using digital products within their their own organization. They didn't hire people for that skill set that suddenly needed to have that skill set. And again, just as you said, depending on where they were located, they may not have access to the right broadband width that they needed to be adaptable and do all of these things. For a lot of them, it was a lot of purchasing of equipment that they didn't have money because they weren't getting that income from their normal return on investment type situation. So I think it's it's interesting because we've not categorized that situation as being digital literacy and an ABA situation. We just assume that's a you know that's a business 
situation, but it really is the same thing. Yeah, and it's very impactful. And many of the students in our program, we, we accept wide age range of students. So depending on the state and the, the status of a child and their guardian's relationship, they could be as young as 16 and as old as Methuselah. If they want to come to adult basic education, they're welcome. So that is a wide spectrum. And we do have many parents in the program. And not only were they trying to learn online themselves during this time, but many of them had children at home that they needed to help suddenly move to remote learning. And that there can be inequality in families if one person has parents or guardians who are very comfortable helping their kids work online and another family can be really overwhelmed by that. Mm -hmm. And I think we saw that so much through throughout and even families that have multiple children because you've got two or three or four kids all going to school at the same time at various levels doing various things with teachers having various requirements and mom and dad are suddenly stuck in the middle of the house trying to figure out how to make all this work while they're trying to work online as well. So I think that was also, that was a real eye opener, I think, for people to realize we didn't have a system in place. We still don't have a system in place, but we want flexibility and adaptability when it warrants, but we haven't put any structure in order to make that happen and to transition easily when we need to do that. So one of the things I find fascinating is as you talk about the parents that, you know, are are both helping their kids with school and trying to go to school, as they're as they're doing those, what do you see are the difficulties for them in learning? Is it taking them longer to matriculate through things because their attention is divided? Or is it helpful because they're also having to kind of go to school all the time in one level or another? It depends on the student and the place and the subject, honestly. I think that one of the things that I've seen a lot is that the student body in adult basic education has changed over the last two years. There are some students who very much prefer or feel more engaged, safer, more comfortable in in in-person learning. And those students, some of them have worked through online learning during the pandemic and some of them have said I need to hit the brakes on this until I can go to a class in person. I just don't have enough internet access or digital skill to be able to do this remotely. But there's another group of students that we perhaps haven't been serving in the past who love the opportunity to go online. I have some students in my class this term who have only ever been enrolled in the college as distance students. And that is a bit unusual in community colleges to start with, but very unusual in adult basic education. And those students don't have childcare or they they only have one car in the family and they hate to take the car away from the working partner so that they can take it to school. Sometimes they work swing shifts and they just can't consistently show up at a campus at the time that a class is scheduled. And those students have really flourished with online learning opportunities. 
I like to ask my learners on the first day how they feel about Zoom, how they feel about the LMS. Are they nervous? Are they excited? And many students say that they're nervous, but at the same time, they say one reason I wanted to take this class is because I know if I want to get a better job, I need these skills. And if I have to go to class online, I will become better at using the computer and I'll have email skills, internet skills. I'll be able to upload documents and find them again. So I have really enjoyed seeing how people can be nervous and also really eager to push themselves in that way. It's fascinating. One of the things that I've talked about for years and online is everyone worries about, is it online or is it face-to-face? And I always tell them, bottom line, it's a delivery method. It's a matter of, do you make the pizza from scratch or do you buy a frozen pizza? In the end, it's still pizza. The difference is how it's made, you know, what's put together. And so for me, online has always been that way too. We oftentimes tend to worry so much about the delivery and how it's done and can people learn this way? And we forget about those exact pinpoints, which is, you're not just doing this to take that class. You're gaining a skill set. You're getting a comfort level in being with technology. Years ago, I can remember students having to do group work online for the first time, and they were just furious with it. You know, they wanted to get together in a room and they didn't want to do it online. Fast forward to now, where most companies are hiring people to run remote teams all over the globe. You have one up on, on someone else interviewing who has never done that, you know, who doesn't understand what that's going to take. So I think there is a value to online and it doesn't fit for everyone, but it also fits other needs as you were talking about. And sometimes we have to weigh out the whole picture. It's not just about going to school. It's about fitting into our life, having that flexibility, but also can I go back to work tomorrow and kind of start to showcase the new skills I'm gaining every day when I'm home working on my, you know, my homework, talking to other people about what I'm doing. So I think it's a, you know, the digital literacy side, I think is fantastic as an addition in ABE. And I know it's always been there in some respect, but obviously the pandemic, as with everything else, really has pushed a focus on it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And so many services that we have traditionally accessed in person are only accessible online right now. For example, I needed to renew my driver's license this year. And the letter I got in the mail from the Department of Motor Vehicles said in all capital letters, do not come to the office. We will (laughs) not serve you. You have to use this link. And so many things in our society have, have moved in that direction. I make my doctor's appointments through a website or an app. I have to fill out all kinds of paperwork before I go in for appointments online now. And so many things are like that. When you go to a restaurant, you might need to scan a QR code to get the menu. So these (laughs) these things have very quickly become just absolutely necessary for survival. And we're not doing our full job as educators if we're not incorporating those skills. And I love your comment about the the uh, scanning of the you know the little code on the table at the restaurant. Last summer, I had to do some traveling, and travel still was a little bit wonky at that point. But all the airline or all the airports that have restaurants, you had to scan a code. And what was interesting was the amount of people that either owned an expensive 
iPhone or Android and didn't know how to use it to scan that code, or the people that hadn't upgraded their phones in so many years that their phone wasn't capable of doing it. And so people would look over and they're like, huh, what are you doing that I can't do? You know, and so uh, there were a couple of times where I helped people. I'm like, well, you know, here's what you do on your phone and here's this. And I'm like, you have a scanner on your phone. I do. Yes, it comes with it. It's right here. And I thought about it at the time. I thought we went to that methodology to keep our waiters and waitresses safe and to minimize having to wipe down things and all. But we never announced to the public, this is what we're going to do. You know, this is how we're going to combat this and try to keep open. And here's what you're going to have to have or, or be prepared to do in order to do this. And so, you know, we we kept doing cart before horse on this at a time when we really should have known by now what we need to do and how we need to do it. And, you know, that was that's just one of many things that we've been doing since since the pandemic hit. And a lot of those things are not going to go away. A lot of places are finding it's much simpler. It's much easier. They don't have to re- print new menus all the time. Everything's right there. Even on the Super Bowl, Pepsi had a code up and if you scanned it, you could, you know, get all the access to the halftime activities and some other things. It's it's where we're at. It's not even where we're going. It's where we're at and it's where we're going to continue moving towards. So it's it's interesting to me that, again, ABE is no longer just in the sector of education. It now is across every single thing we do. And we have to we have to look to it to lead us more than just in taking classes. Absolutely. And I think that some people have traditionally thought of ABE as going back to feel a gap that of something that a person missed in the past. Mm-hmm. But it can also be about reskilling. And everything that I read and hear about employment now is that the skills that we graduated high school with are not the skills that we need to be successful in the workforce now. So for people my age, I part of the job that I do didn't even exist when I graduated from high school. We all need to be learning and adapting. The world changes as technology changes and the environment changes. As you said, they're not going to take away QR codes at restaurants. That is with us. I got stuck in the airport too, and my flight was delayed. And when I got to the line at the service desk, they wanted me to scan a QR code that they had on every post in the queue. They were like, don't wait in this line, scan this code and chat with the bot. Unfortunately, it did not work, but I would have loved to have chatted with the bot instead of standing in the line. Yep. Yeah, it is. It is amazing to me. And I think we're going to continue seeing it because it's also now become cost savings in one respect for marketing. As we're looking at pushing out products and what we spend on advertising now by including that, we can drive our consumer somewhere that really attracts them to what our latest widget is, what we're doing as a service, and we can change and adapt quickly, which during something like the pandemic is ideal to be able to say, hey, we've got to shut down tomorrow, or you know, we're going to be open during this, but here's how you're going to get to us instead. And so it's going to become of our, you know, part of our living life. But I think, you know, something else that you talked about is 
in terms of employment, how are we training our employees who are on the backside of that code? What happens when you get in line and it doesn't work? What happens when someone can't pull up a menu and you have to go find one or explain to them? I know at one restaurant, somebody said, I I really just need to see a menu. And the waitress said, I don't even know where they're at. She said they took them to clean them and we've never seen them since. So, you know, they're probably in a box somewhere on a shelf or something. Somebody did exactly what they were told, you know, make sure all those are wiped down. But she didn't even know where they were. So this person just finally said, well, can I just have Coke and some French fries? Are you making French fries? And she said, yeah. He's like, fine, I'll eat that. He just went to what he knew. But I think it's, you know, it's indicative of of where we're going is now our, our staff has to understand how to deal with the technological pitfalls as well as the new things that we're rolling out. Absolutely. And I think that the way that we teach an adult basic ed can also be applied to some workforce training. There are new skills that need to be rolled out in a bit of a systematic way so that employees who might be new to these type of advances have a chance to catch on and feel empowered to to move with that shift. It also impacts hiring. I see hiring signs everywhere now. And there might be a QR code or there's a website listed, now hiring, go online. But there is a large talent pool that's being missed if your application is only online because not everybody has internet at home, not everybody has the digital skill to apply, and they might not need it for the job that you're hiring for. Also, if you have what we see in higher ed all the time, a 17-page application for a position, a person can't complete that on their phone easily and effectively if they don't have a working device at home or if they're sharing the device with another family member, then that really limits when they can do what you're asking them to do. That is such an insightful piece, the discrepancy in the hiring process versus the actual skill set needed. And I'm going to pick on fast food because that's probably the most common thing that most of us know. Many of us have worked at some point in time. You see these people, their job is to unpack food, cook food. Maybe they're a cashier. So they run the cashier. They take care of giving you your change, bagging your food and handing it to you. So there's a there's an entry level skill set that's there. I have to know, you know, how to how to do some basic functionality. I have to understand things that I'm trained to do. I have to be able to take in the situational learning of health etiquette and those types of things. But no one's asking me to go in the back and do the bookkeeping, run the payroll, all of those things that maybe are on a, a large system, particularly if it's a chain restaurant. No one's asking me to do that because that's not the job I was hired to do. Yet the application process is the equivalent of running the payroll in the sense of going through that application, downloading it, filling it in, doing attachments, all of those things that they're asking for or cutting and pasting in a certain way. It's interesting. And and higher ed has done this also. Many of them have gone to these portal systems for hiring and they tell you to cut and paste your resume into the box. And then what I've heard time and time again is, well, 
my resume is set up in a certain way because this is how higher ed expects it. You know, I have bullet points of things that I've done underneath the job that I've done and the dates that I've done. And so now it says cut and paste it. And when I cut and paste it, it just becomes this big blob of a paragraph because the system doesn't recognize it. So, you know, again, they also want you to upload that resume. So you have to wonder why. Yeah. Why are we doing that? So the discrepancy is just, you know, it's it's so difficult and it's so discouraging because you think at some point, and we've all been there, you get the little circle turning, it won't, you know, it's not moving forward. For some reason, the system freezes up or it says you can save and come back later. And then when you come back later, it didn't really save anything. So how many people just go, forget it. You know, I'm already stressed enough trying to get this done. I'm just going to walk away from it. I have actually done that myself. I am very educated. I have a master's degree. I'm in a graduate ed tech program right now. But at one point, the system lost my information on this uh, additional position that I was going to apply for with an employer. And I just thought, if it's this hard to apply for this, what is it going to be like to actually try to do this position as well. I don't think this is for me. And I just tossed it aside. And I think that's a lot of it too, you know, because we are also used to so many tech pieces that work brilliantly. I always joke about Amazon is is my best friend because they're at my house almost every day. (laughs) But part of that is the ease in which they've made it for me to transition going out and shopping to buying things online when the pandemic hit. When I could no longer go to certain stores and get things, they made it very, very easy. And it was one or two clicks and that was it. My order was placed. I instantly knew when it was going to arrive. And it typically nine times out of 10 arrives when they say it's going to. So I'm spoiled by the ease of that system. I'm spoiled by it coming up and saying, hey, if you bought this, you might like this or somebody else who bought that bought this. And so there's a nurturing component in terms of what else I might be looking for, what else I might want to use. Here's an easier way to find it. So then when I go to another system to buy something and it's clunky and it's old and it doesn't respond well, it sits and spins. I'm like you. I get to a point where I'm just like, yeah, I'm done with this and I don't end up buying from them. So I think that's, you know, that's the other piece of it is it's not even the individuals, as you're saying, that that are entry level skill set. It's for all of us as we become more digitally literate, we don't really appreciate if something isn't working and if it isn't really fitting what we need to be doing. Yeah, and we have a bit of a situation going on now for, for those of us who are fortunate to work from our homes. I saw it called work-life blend on LinkedIn recently. So Mm. there are fewer barriers between home and work. And that means that we're spending a lot of time on our devices doing professional things, aside from all of the devices that we have in our personal lives for doing our shopping now or (laughs) robo-vacuuming our floors, if we're very lucky. And, And there's a respect for my time component to it, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't want to involve myself with an employer who isn't going to respect me. And the way that you bring somebody into your system 
shows a degree of that in my mind. I want the system, the application and onboarding system to work because that's what we need to be effective, efficient employees. And I know if I can't even get that in the first step, that there's something missing perhaps going forward. Uh, my students agree with you. We teach financial literacy in my class. And this week we've been studying credit versus debit cards and <laughs> what the pros and cons are. And my students said, oh, I can't save my credit card on Amazon because then I get by with one click. And <laughs> it's very easy to buy with one click teacher. I bought so many things. <laughs> It truly is, you know, and obviously, I mean, that's what they're hoping you'll do. You know, that's that's the the catalyst of it. And for most of these places, that's the catalyst is that, you know, they're hoping you'll store your card because it will make it easier and you're more likely than to just click and purchase and move forward. And yeah, I but, think, you but know, make it worth my time. Amazon is right. really good at making it worth my time. Absolutely. You know, as we've gone back to stores opening and things being available, there are still many things that I just order online. I found the efficiency of it showing up at my door as opposed to having to get in the car and drive and do all of those things is just valuable. And so I really don't have a desire to go out and do that stuff now when it can just show up here. And I think a lot of people figured that out for a lot of things for varied reasons. People with small children, even I've noticed Target still will walk your delivery out to your car. And I notice oftentimes when I'm at Target in the mornings, it's moms because they're carrying out boxes of diapers. They're carrying out boxes of formula, all of those big things that you have to wrestle carrying in the store, or get a cart and take the kids. And, you know, it's an event for them when children are small. And all of a sudden right now you can just drive up, the kids are in their car seats, you know, you pull into the parking space and somebody loads your car and you just drive off and you're done. So I think there's a value to a lot of what we learned over the last two years too. And that's the other reason why it's not going anywhere. So it's, it's fascinating, you know, how it kind of all has, has come together. But I'm curious for you to talk a little bit about you talked about when you hire or you need to upskill workers, talking about forming a partnership with adult education and, and how that benefits a small business, large business, corporate. Talk a little bit about your thoughts on that. There are people in community college and technical college systems, especially if that's where adult ed is housed in your community, that have this specific job and can do things like create pathway programs where students are trained in the skills that you need for your specific environment. Uh, CNC machining is a great example of that. There are pathways for dental assisting, for early childhood development, which is a field where we have all learned in the last two years that we desperately need workers and we need to value them. But it can be even less formal than that. It's important for education to know the skills that employers are looking for because so many students have the goal of employment or career advancement. So there can be a really nice fit there of preparing a learner to do the role that they want and to know what that looks like from the employer need side. 
And on the reverse, adult ed has something to offer to employers in that we are very experienced in upskilling and reskilling a certain population of learners who might not historically have a lot of previous education or might have received that education in another language. So we tend to be very good at navigating the cultural nuances of that and, and the andragogy of teaching adults versus the pedagogy of teaching kids. And I think for our listeners, if you are working in a small business and you're struggling to decide when's the right time to hire, this is a perfect opportunity. It's a perfect opportunity to find individuals who are excited about learning, who are interested in, in moving forward. Community colleges provide a real skill set and a real workforce entry level, more so than universities do. And that I say because they get into the workforce faster. Universities focus on getting those advanced degrees out and then moving them into a workforce. But community colleges oftentimes allow you to work while you're going to school and gain experience through uh, different opportunities. And so I've always thought that community colleges really uh, have been underrated in that sense. I think that they do contribute so greatly to our workforce. And I think it's an opportunity, especially now, as we have so many people who are becoming entrepreneurs and opening small businesses who need those individuals with certain skill sets and who are looking for people who are loyal and willing to come in on the ground you know, floor and and help them build as well as work there. It's an exciting time, I think, for people to do that. Absolutely. And it doesn't even need to be a very formal relationship. If you're a small business looking for employees with certain skills, I would say first be really clear on what skills you do need. But you can also approach your local community college or adult ed program and just share an advertisement for the position that you have open. Uh, Many community colleges do post local jobs and they are, as you said, they tend to be very focused on knowing the needs of the local community. And they have a student body who often, but not always wants to remain local. So they're training a workforce for local opportunities. Rebecca, this has been such an exciting conversation today, and I hope that our listeners have gleaned some key things out of it, which are, we're all in the workforce at one level or another, and moving people into the right levels can be done purposefully and can be supportive and can also contribute to people who really want to be out there, want to be working and hopefully the workforce is is uh, continuing to identify how they adapt to bringing people in instead of just putting signs in windows and hoping people show up. <laughs> Absolutely. There are, there are great learners out there who are seeking great employers. I think that's that's the perfect, perfect way to end this. I hope all of you that are listening, take that with you and start to think about who you can bring into your areas. Rebecca, thanks again so much for being here today. For all of our listeners, I really hope you enjoyed this episode of EdTech Speaks and can make use of today's information. We look forward to having you join us again. You can find out more information on our podcast at www.downingedtech.com, or you can follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever you connect with podcasts. And until next time, 
Keep learning. Thank you for listening to EdTech Speaks with EdTech strategist Cher Downing. To learn more about the services Downing EdTech and its staff can provide you, find us at www.downingedtech.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to share it. We'd also like to hear from you regarding any suggestions for topics or guests and the value you received from our show. Check back for new podcasts with featured guests at www.downingedtech.com backslash podcast. <laughs>